You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Kevin. I'm one of the elders for Citizens. Thank you for being here. And I hope you've really enjoyed this series in the book of Psalms. You know, the book of Psalms, it served as both the prayer book and the song book for the people of God at worship. It would take the key themes of the Old Testament theology and then turn them into songs and prayers. And so as people would worship with these things, they began to understand the heart of God. Uh, Our youngest daughter is engaged to be married. So among all the preparations going on right now, one of those is selecting the songs, the music that will be used during the ceremony and then later with the celebration. So a few nights ago, Our family was discussing these things, and I took it upon myself to review my favorite love songs from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and so forth. So with the help of Spotify, when I would go through and find one of my old favorites, I would play it, turn it up as loud as our little sound system would allow, and sing with all my might these love songs, which amused me greatly and really irritated my wife and daughter. They found other things to do. But you could say that those songs that I chose reveal something about me, things I liked, uh, maybe things that were important to me. It probably uh, revealed how superficial I really am based on those songs. But this would not be true about God because in the Psalms, we get the true heart of what's important to him, what matters to him. So in Psalm 67, God's people worshiping together week by week, singing and praying these psalms, they came to understand his heart for people. So one more time, let's look at Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So what does Psalm 67 teach us about the heart of God? First main idea is from verse 1, God is gracious. Isn't he gracious toward us? I mean, we don't know who the author is of Psalm 67, but one thing we know is he knew his Bible. Because this prayer is built on two significant Old Testament passages Numbers 6 and Genesis 12. So number 6 is where God had instructed Moses on how to teach the priests to mediate blessing from God to the people. And maybe you're familiar with this, blessing. Numbers 6, verses 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Now, this psalmist 
had read God's law. He'd read number six, and he saw there a promise of blessing. So he lifted it from that and applied it to his life and his community, turned it into a prayer. He takes that priestly blessing and prays, may God bless us and be gracious to us and turn his face, make his face shine upon us. That, that phrase, his face shining upon us. You know, in ancient cultures, when a king uh, wanted to give an evaluation of a person, he wouldn't even have to say a word. You could just tell by his countenance, his evaluation. If it was a stern look, that clearly meant disapproval, perhaps demotion, maybe an execution. Perhaps all of us in our life at a few times have received, we've been on the receiving end of one of those stern looks from an authority figure, maybe a parent or a teacher or a boss. And you know how awful that makes you feel to sense that face of disapproval. Conversely, a king's smile meant favor. It meant approval. My grandpa was a hard-working cotton farmer. Six days a week, he was in the fields. Sundays was his day of rest. And so our family would drive out to the farm, be with my grandma and grandpa. And I remember every time walking into their tiny living room, my grandpa would be over in his old chair just relaxing. But when he would see me walk in the room, his face would brighten, a big smile would come across his face. He'd call me over and give me this bear hug as he'd grab the skin on my back and I just loved that feeling of love and affection and even the aroma. It was this perfect blend of farm, chewing tobacco, and Old Spice. <laughs> and I just, even now I can, I can smell it and I miss those hugs. You know, the prayer in Psalm 67, it's based on the certainty that our Heavenly Father has love and affection toward those who trust Him. He loves us, and his countenance, his face is shining toward you. Our king has a smiling face. Do we relate to him like that? At the end of verse 1, you see this interesting word there, sila. Scholars don't agree on what it means, <laughs> but it's at least a musical notation. Remember, this is music we're reading, and it meant pause. It's not an ending. The song is going to continue soon, but for now, just take a breath and reflect upon, think about what we just sang. I mean, that would be helpful for us sometimes, right? Because we just sing through the motions, right? We just go through the words. Our mind is elsewhere, but here he just puts in the words, stop for a moment, just just reflect and consider what we sang and what did we just sing. God, be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face shine upon us. Then the pause, which gives us opportunity to ask, why? Why, God? Why are you gracious to us? Why do you bless us? Why is your face shining upon us? Verse 2, very important transitional word, that. Here's the purpose. Here's why God has been so good. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God blesses us so that we can bless the nations. 
So here's more of what we learn about the heart of God. God is not only gracious, God is missional. It doesn't just stop with God blessing me. There's purpose beyond just my own benefit for God giving me goodness, blessing, grace. His graciousness to us is so that we may share in his mission, so that all people may experience his saving power. Now, this echoes another Old Testament uh, key scripture, Genesis 12, where Abraham is receiving the covenant from God. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, he says, I will bless you, Abraham. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing, and in you, or we could say through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That promise, as we know from Galatians 3, decisively fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, became the blessing to the nations. And so now that blessing that we've received in the gospel joins us to the mission of God. So from the beginning, continuing to present day, God's intention has always been to bless his people so that through them, they might become the vehicle of blessing to the nations. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Our mission ministry in Vietnam, we help young believers, equipping them to become spiritual leaders. And we especially seek to serve the under-resourced ethnic minorities in the northern mountainous regions. And they already live on the edge of poverty. But during the pandemic, they suffered disproportionately. Many were unable to find work. And so the result was a food shortage. So we were able to mobilize resources to provide hunger relief. At the conclusion of one of these trainings, I think we have a few pictures to share with you about this. Yeah, there we go. The training. And then at the conclusion of that training, our, our, we mobilized for hunger relief. So we purchased food staples like rice, noodles, began to distribute it through our local church networks there. But at the conclusion of one of these, they were so encouraged by the grace of God, they went to people beyond the reach of the church, people who had no knowledge of, of Christ. And they came to an older man who had special limitations. You see him, them approaching his, his home there. And these young men were so moved by his poverty, they offered not only food, but also to rebuild his house with their own funds. We didn't provide the money. Out of their own poverty, we could say, they wanted to share what they did have to meet the needs of this elderly man. So they did the work. They deconstructed his house. They remade his foundation, and they built a new cinder block home for him. This is what grace and mission combined look like. With the blessing we've received from God, we want to be a blessing to those in need. Our God is a missionary. When worshipers gathered to sing Psalm 67, it reminded them to pray for God's mission to be fulfilled among them and through them. Psalm 67, it begins with a prayer for us, but then it expands to them. Do we see that? Because when I evaluate my prayers day by day, 
I'm thinking 90% plus, it's all about me. What I want, what I need, what circumstance I want God to change. I have very little concern for them. But this joins the grace of God and the mission to God together. They're woven together. So who is the target of God's mission? It is the people's. When you see the word peoples, you think, oh, great, a typo in my Bible. This is, should not be, right? But in fact, there are three different Hebrew terms in this psalm to describe people. Verse 2, it's the nations. could be translated the Gentiles. It's all the non-Jews. It's all the non-believers. In verse 3, it's the word peoples. This is intentionally plural. And it's an all-inclusive term for all the people of the world. In verse 4, the word nations again, but in Hebrew it's a different term, and it refers to various people groups like the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, people different than us. <laughs> a people group is it's a large group of people who share an identity around language, ethnicity, culture, class, or location. And everyone is part of a people group. You don't get to choose, you just end up in one. It's who defines you. And you may not have thought about it, but in your self-understanding, you know I am one of these people and I am not one of those people. They're different than me. So those people are the ones whom God has a missional intent towards and he wants us to be part of that mission toward them. I'm excited about the increasing diversity in this city, aren't you? I mean, it's really wonderful to see. I think uh, every week I come across this. As we're driving to church on Sunday, we drive by our closest park, and there's always a big cricket match between two teams of South Asians. Um, every week when I go to work out at my recreation center, the, court, the gymnasium courts are often set up for badminton, which is usually populated by East Asians. At a nearby market, it caters mostly to the preferences of Middle Easterners. This is wonderful. I mean, did you know that God has brought those people to this city? Let me give you some statistics on this city. This city, more than one out of every four people was born outside of the U.S. Every fourth person you see <laughs> born somewhere else immigrated here. In this city, we have people from, get this, 90, 90 different nations. 90 different nations in Plano. <laughs> Never would have thought. In our city, more than one out of every th three people speak a language other than English at home. One out of three. I mean, we have opportunities to serve the nations all around us. So let me just walk with you as we envision perhaps some new patterns of living, new habits we could establish that would help us relate better and more closely with the nations God has brought around us. Perhaps shopping at grocery stores that primarily serve foreigners. Just to go there and shop, get a cart, start walking around, look for something. Ask someone for advice because you'll need it. <laughs> it's not your place, it's their place. Ask for advice, just be kind, be friendly, and see how the conversation develops. 
or meeting your neighbors. I always enjoy the conversations with my neighbors. Next door, we have an Iranian family. Across the street, a Chinese family, both immigrated. Another way is serving new immigrants. How exciting it is that Citizens Church has responsibility to care for two Afghan families that have been relocated here. Beginning conversations. You know, you can do this. Even if you're a more reserved personality, you can be friendly. You can see how God prepares people when you go. If you just have the heart to care about people, which God gives us, to think, okay, if someone's there, they must be someone God wants me, at the very least, to smile at them. Why would we smile at them? Because God has smiled on you. You didn't deserve his warmth and affection and approval, but through the gospel, very costly to him, nothing but grace for you, he smiles upon you. Certainly, we can smile at other people. To be kind, to be friendly, to begin a conversation and look for opportunities to say something of God's goodness to them. Oh, what a beautiful day God has given us. These are ways we can begin to take steps into the nations God has brought all around us. And this is what praying, Psalm 67, leads us to do. Look again at verses 3 to 5. Do you sense the passion and the urgency with which this prayer has been prayed. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why would we ever pray like that? Because God is praiseworthy. This is what we learn about the heart of God. He wants us to know his heart is he deserves praise. He's the only being that is worthy. And yet today God is not being praised by all the peoples, is he? He's not being celebrated among the nations. Those people do not have their joy in God because no one's ever told them about God. This is why missions exists, because God deserves the praise and the worship of all peoples and all nations, doesn't he? Doesn't he? And this is why some of you should consider going to the unreached peoples, Four out of every ten people on earth have virtually no access to the gospel. Four out of every ten. That's almost unfathomable for us. Where we live in a region, as you've heard all your life, a church on every corner. The gospel is available here. Thank the Lord for that. But this is not typical of many places on earth. Most of the unreached people groups live in Asia, the Middle East, uh, Northern Africa. And if they die without the gospel, they will be lost for all eternity. For the sake of the praise Jesus deserves among the unreached peoples, why not consider going to them? Why not leverage your education and your work experience? 
and your resources, all of which are blessings from God, right? Why not consider leveraging those as a means to enter countries and cities where there are very few people who've ever heard of Jesus? What would be so wrong with setting aside five years of your life for that cause? Many nations which are not receptive to Christianity are very receptive to foreigners who will bring value to their cities and country. They're very receptive people who are educators, business people, healthcare professionals, scientists, engineers, consultants. And think about it. God has blessed you with these abilities, experiences, and resources. Why? Is it because God just loved you and he doesn't love them? God in his sovereign wisdom chose you gave you these blessings in order that you might be a channel of his blessing to them. But you've got to respond. You've got to go. So consider this, to ask God, God, should I explore how I might use your blessings in my life among the unreached people of the world that you might receive the praise you deserve? So what do they need to know? You look again at Psalm 67 and you see how it points the nations to the gospel. Verse 4, it says, you, God, you judge the peoples with equity. Equity. God is to be praised among all nations because he is the only righteous judge. He rules with equity. He does not show favoritism or partiality. He accepts no bribes and he never compromises. He is the only just, incorruptible, and absolutely righteous judge judge. And one day he will make right every injustice in the world. What a wonderful, righteous judge. And all peoples must know that every person will stand before this righteous judge and give an account of their life. And that's terrifying. <laughs> Apart from God's saving power available through and only through the gospel. God is to be praised among all nations because he is the only sovereign king. Look at verse 4 again. He guides. He guides the nations. He guides the nations upon earth. The nations are not at the mercy of presidents and prime ministers and chairmen and business titans and the power elite. God is supremely sovereign over all nations. So, no worries. God's in control. He's sovereign. He's king. Psalm 22, verse 28, dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. In Acts 16, verse 26, we, we learn that God created every people group and determined when they would live and where they would live in order that they might discover him. God alone determines the destiny of every nation and every people group. And part of that destiny is that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants them to know him. And he wants us to be part of that. This brings us to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. All authority, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, and behold, 
I, the sovereign king with all the authority, I will always be with you to the end of the age. It is the will of King Jesus that the nations be discipled. Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus made a very bold, audacious claim. It's a promise where he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you ever want to wear something emblazoned on a t-shirt, consider that verse. Just a confidence builder to put it on in the morning. His mission will be accomplished. And that promise of King Jesus, it is the basis of our confidence to join him on mission. It takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? It's not up to your salesmanship skills or Bible knowledge or personality. He's going to build his church. And so we just go where he's already working. He's already there among the unreached. He loves them. So, God has blessed us. What should we do? We should go. We should go to those difficult and dangerous places because we know Jesus will build his church there and nothing can stop him. Not pandemics, not military coups, not autocratic regimes, not materialism, not natural disasters or closed borders, or even persecution. Nothing can prevent King Jesus from fulfilling his mission to receive praise from all nations. So our gracious, missional, praiseworthy God wants us to celebrate his goodness and join him on his mission. Psalm 67, again, look at verse 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. Think of in terms of agriculture. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The most likely occasion where the Jewish people would sing Psalm 67 would be at the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was that annual celebration of the wheat harvest. So the, 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 harvest would, the wheat would be harvested, the bread would be made, and then a special blessing would be prayed over that bread. It's called the hamatzah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. That harvest, that feast of Pentecost, it pointed to a greater fulfillment, a greater reality. It pointed to Jesus. Because through his death on the cross and burial in the tomb, Jesus became like a, a seed planted in the ground. And just like the wheat kernel comes to life and produces a harvest, so in his resurrection, Jesus became the bread of life for the nations. That's what it pointed to. In fact, Psalm 67 was probably sung by the Jews gathered in Jerusalem at Pentecost 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion. We read about this in Acts chapter 2, don't we? 
It was on that Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came, the church was empowered, the gospel was proclaimed, and thousands of people believed in Jesus. And at that moment, Jesus had made the nations glad, and they sang for joy. They experienced the smiling approval of God in their lives. And immediately, they joined in his mission, declaring the wonders of God. As we, his church, join him on mission, Jesus continues calling people to himself, people from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. As Revelation 7 describes the ultimate future reality for all of us who believe in him, it will include a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If you believe in Jesus, that's your future. And God has blessed you with that. You didn't deserve that. He gave this gracious salvation to you. God, why would you do that? Why would you love me so much to give me that salvation as a gift? Not only for my benefit, but also for the benefit of others. God has blessed us. He has given us himself, his gospel, his resources, far more than we need, so that we might go. So let's make Psalm 67 a frequent prayer on our lips. Let this one become the one you pray before meals. Let this one become the one you pray over your children at night. Let this one be the one you think about when you're driving to work or going into the community. Let us connect the blessing of God with the mission of God and join him in what matters most to his heart. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy for me, it's so easy for all of us to disconnect your blessing in our lives with your mission for our lives. It's so easy for us to, to withdraw from people different from us rather than engage them with your love and grace. But Lord, I'm asking you this morning that your spirit would, would convict us, challenge us to open our eyes, look at the fields, to see all the people you've brought around us whom you intend for us to love. And Lord, I'm praying that you will, through this psalm, send us out, out of our comfortable confines into this community to love people that up till now perhaps we ignore. We'll go to our neighbors, we'll go to the markets, we'll go to the parks, and we'll begin conversations. Lord, do all this through us. We don't have the ability, we don't have the interests, we don't have the love, but you do. And you're smiling on them just like you've smiled on us. And Father, I pray also you would be calling at least a few from this gathering today to set aside five years and go. Go to the unreached people groups and other places on earth 
that they also might be part of the praise chorus unto your greatness because you alone are worthy. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.